All right, we're in Genesis, and the goal is to uh, finish Genesis in the next three weeks. We'll go on our summer break for July and August. We will not meet in July and August on Wednesdays. We've been doing that the last few years, and so we will take a break in July and August and resume back on our Wednesdays, the first Wednesday after Labor Day. So uh, we've got, I think, four counting today, four weeks. Uh, so we want to look at Isaac tonight. Uh, really, Genesis, uh, when you get to chapter 11, you have four main characters from Genesis 11 to give or take middle of 25, primarily Abraham. Genesis part of 25 through 27 is Isaac. Then the focus is on who? Who's after Isaac? Jacob from about 27 to 36, and then who is the last one? Joseph. And uh, so we're going to take a couple of weeks on Joseph. I love the story of Joseph, and of course two weeks is inadequate, but uh, tonight we want to look at Isaac, and then next week we'll look at uh, Jacob, the two sons. And of course uh, the patriarchs, they're part of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so um, uh, Isaac being the son of promise of Abraham. You know, as I was looking at this and trying to, and tonight we'll be in trying to just give a little overview in a one shot. Uh, this will be a little bit more um, skimming some areas in his life. In fact, this outline, because I just was trying to find something or some way to do it all in one setting, this outline is actually from some of you know who Warren Wearsby is, a Bible teacher. So I. Uh, pulled this, his outline, because I thought it gave a good overview of the three chapters in Genesis that we'll look at regarding Isaac, chapters 25, 26, and 27. Won't be able to go into a lot of the detail, but hopefully uh, have a greater uh, appreciation and maybe some reminder of the significance of Isaac. Now, interesting that um, Isaac, in regards to when you talk about Abraham and then Jacob, and certainly Joseph, I mean, Isaac certainly has some significant events in his life, being probably one of the greatest ones was more uh, when he was a teenager, a young boy. You remember what happened then when Abraham took him and uh, was going to sacrifice his son? And, and uh, so that's where we see certainly Isaac, uh, of course, being the promise heir uh, to Abraham and Sarah that was promised to him. Uh, but Isaac's you know, life maybe isn't as colorful as certainly Jacob's is and Joseph, but nevertheless, there's some lessons and some things that I think will be helpful to us tonight. And, uh, and so he lived as long as the other patriarchs, but uh, some of the things in his life, again, are more of things that happened around him or to him passively. Uh, and then, of course, certainly you could argue his... Uh, maybe areas where uh, he was acted in disobedience, lack of faith, but that's pretty much the story of all of God's people uh, where we are called to act in faith. So I want to kind of break it down in looking at chapter 25, what I just called the beginning years, all right? And again, this is just more of a survey, but we'll make some um, observations, and then towards the latter part, uh, I just uh, have five, I think five, uh, just points of application that I'll do at the end there that just maybe surmise, uh, summarize uh, some areas of life lessons in the life of Isaac. So when we talk about the beginning years, again, we're not going to read all these, but uh, we see, uh, and again, this is uh, Warren Wearsby's outline, so he, has, he loves alliteration. So notice this, uh, the home of, uh, that Isaac grew up in, in chapter 25, verse 1, it says that Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now Isaac, or rather Abraham's wife, Sarah, had died. If you go back to um, look back at chapter 23, verse 1 in your Bibles, uh, the Bible, the scripture says in 23:1, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah had died. And, uh, and so since Sarah had died, uh, Abraham, with Isaac growing up, uh, Isaac wanted, uh, 
even though Abraham had other sons as his other marriages or whatever, but it was only in Isaac uh, that the promise, the Abrahamic promise that we spent a lot of time talking about last week in Genesis chapter 15, it was only through Isaac that the promises and the blessings of God that were given to Abraham that we spent some detail with last week were going to be fulfilled. And so when you look at chapter 24 uh, in regards to finding Isaac a bride, look at 24 verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord uh, had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. And that, again, was going to make a covenant with his servant. And he says, I will, and I will make you swear, he's, this is unto his servant, that I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son, he's talking about Isaac, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So Abraham clearly recognizing the delineation of God's blessing through that specific family line, certainly wanted his servant, if he had died, wanted his servant to assure that he would guarantee and make sure that Isaac chose a bride that was from uh, the family of Abraham, okay? Not talking about his brother or you know, sister or anything of that nature, but just from the family of the line that would be of the Abrahamic line. And part of that, again, is, is the uh, uh, awareness that Abraham had of the importance that it wasn't through the line of Ishmael, which was a son that Abraham had by virtue of his maidservant Hagar. It was the promise wasn't through Ishmael, but it was through Isaac. And you remember we spent talking about that Abrahamic covenant of that promise of the covenant through, through his seed. So going back to chapter 25, verse 11, uh, says, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac. Okay, so Isaac now is the one that God has uh, as the heir uh, legal heir, blood heir of Abraham, that it's through Isaac now that these continual blessings and uh, uh, of God that were promised in that covenant back in chapter 15 are going to ascend through, okay? So interesting how Isaac and his wife that was secured, and we're just going to kind of bypass over the, that, uh, that how that was secured earlier, but they, they encountered a very similar uh, situation that Abraham and Sarah did. If you look in chapter 25, um, let's look at verse 20. Chapter 25, verse 20. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord... For his wife, because she was barren, there was no child. If uh, Isaac recognized, Rebecca recognized that if this familial line is going to continue, they've got to have a child, and not just any child. They have to have a son. All right. So if this uh, promises of Abraham, Isaac himself has to have an heir, and so so Rebecca is barren. And he goes before the Lord and prays. And so now Isaac pleaded with the Lord, verse 21, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So um, they, she had twins in her body, uh, Esau and Jacob. And it's interesting, we won't turn to it, but in regards to talking about the doctrine of election, it's talking about those two sons and how God's sovereign choice was with, with Jacob and not Esau that Paul picks up on as an illustration in Romans chapter 9. And again, you may want to make a note of that and read that some other time. We won't take time to do that. But notice the division in the home. We see in verse 24 and 28, now she is pregnant and she's going to have twins. How many of you all are, I know Johnny is a, is a twin. Uh, who else is a twin in here? Okay, Evie. Any other twins? All right. And so she has these twins. 
uh, in her body. Verse 24, so when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. Now, the first one, and again, for time's sake, I'm not going to read every verse here, but we know that first one son, the oldest, or the one that was, was birthed first, was Esau, and his name means Harry. I don't mean like dirty Harry. I mean Harry like hair, okay, Harry. Uh, <laughs> uh, and his name means Harry. Uh, later, uh, his uh, uh, name was uh, given Edom, which has a, a kind of has a word that attributes to red. Now, whether that means he had a reddish hair, a reddish, reddish complexion, seems to be suggested in the, in the uh, name. Uh, I think that's in verse 30. And then you have the other son, Jacob. Now, interesting, when Jacob was being born, it says, verse 25, and the first came out red. Uh, he was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Have you ever, you know, maybe you had a baby or, uh, and you've seen others. They come out and they just got a full head of hair, dark hair. Now, it doesn't necessarily always last long, but they just got a full you know, head of hair. And, um, and so he had, obviously, those, those uh, attributes and then verse 26, afterward, his brother came out. So Jacob, Esau is, who's the firstborn here? Esau, Jacob's the secondborn. Now afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now the word Jacob uh, means supplanter, or it also could supplanter, is a word for a schemer, a deceiver, uh, probably not the uh, heel gripper, really, is the literalness of it, but probably not, uh, you know, oh, that's a beautiful baby we're going to dedicate. What's his name? Oh, his name is Deceiver. Oh, well, that's nice. Uh, you know, but, but Jacob is that picture of when he, he you already see some, some aspects of his personality by, by trying to, I don't know if he was trying to pull Esau back in. I don't know what was going on there, but nevertheless... That's the name that uh, they gave him. Uh, Jacob was kind of in an oversimplified way. Jacob was more of a quiet person in the sense of uh, Esau was the hunter. Esau was the one that liked to go out and hunt and fish. And, you know, I mean, somebody might say Esau, you know, he's one of those man's men, you know, kind of guy that just rough and, and uh, likes all those things. And we might say that Jacob... You know, he was a little more uh, contemplative. You know, he might be back, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the tent uh, making a little uh, paint by numbers with mom. I don't know. I mean, that's, I'm making all that up. But you see something interesting here, verse 27 of 25. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Okay, so you see that dynamic. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Esau's out there hunting and fishing. Jacob's back reading, uh, reading or doing whatever there. But notice verse 28 suggests something that is going to unfortunately determine the trajectory of a lot of problems. You see verse 28? It says, And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What do you see going on there? Favoritism, division. Um, now, again, I don't want to turn this into Dr. Phil or anything tonight, but, uh, but you know, certainly anytime you have a family dynamic where one is favored over the other, that creates problems. Um, now, it was, I'm the youngest of four boys, okay? I only have my oldest brother alive now, my other two in the middle uh, are with the Lord. Uh, but it was pretty well established and known in our household. I mean, I don't, it's not a source of anger or bitterness. I've not lost sleep over it. But my brother Mike, who was actually the second oldest, that everybody pretty much accepted and knew that he was my grandfather's favorite. All right. I mean, he was about 12, 10 to let 12 years older than me. But. Um, we just kind of accepted it, you know, when, and I, when I say that, I, it, I never ever felt lack of love of my grandfather. They just, he was really kind of the, the son that, uh, you know, he had two girls, my mother and my aunt, and so he kind of became, uh, when my mother married my father, my father already had a, a son and a daughter, 
And uh, so Mike was kind of that son that, you know, he'd always wanted just in the natural. So naturally, the firstborn biological grandchild, you know, received. And again, we all felt great love or whatever. But we just kind of accepted that if granddaddy was in a pinch, he's going to choose Mike before Joe, Pat, and Tim, you know? I mean, it's just, just the way it is. But, um, but he was an equal blesser. But Mike and him just uh, had that, you know, had that relationship. But in, a, in, a, in an unhealthy way, that can be a real recipe for disaster, couldn't it? Uh, and we'll look ahead. We'll see how uh, this was sadly repeated in Jacob's life. Do you remember how this favoritism was repeated in Jacob's life? Favoritism with Joseph. How'd that work out? Didn't work out too good, did it? All right. So that's that's the that's the situation that and and that kind of verse, kind of verse twenty-eight. That's what I call one of those hinge verses. It just kind of from that point on, it just the scene like a like a drama, like a play. Now is just going to kind of turn there. It's like it kind of sets you up, you know. Like if it was if you're watching, if you were binge watching, or you're watching a series on Prime or Netflix. That would be the last scene before it would cut off. And now they're not putting a lot of those on at once, which my wife appreciates because I'm really bad about saying, oh, let's just watch one more. It's one o'clock in the morning. I know, but let's just watch. No, I don't do that. But, but I will sometimes if it, I'll be like, let's watch one more. And she's like, no, we are not watching any more of this. And so it's kind of nice now they're dropping some of those series. They'll, they'll drop and only do it once a week. So that kind of helps my marriage and uh, my, my sleep a little bit there. But you never notice when you're watching a show and it's just, and, and you almost can tell. Uh, I remember this show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. I love that show. Now that was before streaming and all this. And, 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 and when you heard that clock or that, you're like, no, no, like I can't wait next week to find out what happened, you know, because you're just kind of enthralled in it. Well, uh, verse 28 kind of hinges because it kind of sets up uh, where things are going, unfortunately. And we see, unfortunately, in verses 29 through 34 as part of this uh, dysfunctional relationship of this divided home, we see that uh, this situation where Esau, or Jacob, was cooking a stew. See, he was a man that liked to watch the cooking channel. All right? Uh, you get, and so what's Esau doing? He's out in the field, you know, he's dressing the the deer and he's, you know, he's hunting and he's doing, and he came in and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with the same red stew, verse 30, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. All right. Edom again, red. You see how that association with his name, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Now, so already Jacob, again, uh, Jacob is one of my favorite characters because, I mean, you see so much of his life where he's just, he's a wheeler dealer, right? He's a schemer. And that's why I love to kind of get ahead of myself, fast forward, when he has that one night where he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. And you remember in that wrestling, the angel of the Lord pops his hip out a socket there and changes his name. And from that time on, Jacob is a, well, he has a new name called Israel, but he's a different person. And um, so I always say that's the Lord taking him, this, 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 uh, this hustler to the, uh, to the woodshed and uh, setting him straight. But what does he do? He says, sell me your birthright. Now that may not seem like a big deal to us. Even like later on when you see the conniving going on where uh, Jacob and his mother trick Isaac to giving him a blessing, thinking his father thinking he's doing it to Esau, his firstborn. And you're like, well, what's the big deal to give a blessing? But those things in that culture have way, way more significance than we can appreciate. I mean, kind of getting ahead of myself, even that verbal uh, patriarchal blessing had a legal binding uh, nature to it. Obviously, there's a spiritual dynamic prophetically going on there, but this birthright, this birthright. So Jacob, he's not the firstborn. And so the implication here, Esau says, look, 
I'm about to die. Verse 32. I'm starving. What profit does that birthright have to me? Like, I don't care. You want to be the firstborn? Here. You're the firstborn, okay? Now, give me that soup. Give me that stew. Whatever it is, right? You didn't care. Well, I've been pretty hungry. I don't know if I would have sold one of my kids or done something that, you know, in our... But nevertheless, he... Uh, Jacob says, swear to me, verse 33, and he swore to him. And the implication is, is that Esau is pictured as a person. In fact, Hebrews 11, uh, oh, I got it written down somewhere, gives a warning not to be like Esau. Esau, again, in, in the Bible is pictured as somebody that's fleshly, that's focused upon his own uh, interpersonal uh, happiness and welfare and has a disregard for the spiritual things or a very callous view. And so he's certainly not pictured in a, as, a, as a spiritual person, if you will. And certainly Jacob's not coming off too good as looking at a, a spiritual individual there. But uh, I think in MacArthur's uh, study Bible, he had uh, the most succinct little note there about a birthright, that a birthright meant that that was a double portion of the inheritance that when the patriarch father of the house died and it was the, he would receive it, the son who had the birthright as the firstborn would receive a double portion of the inheritance and also the legal right to be head of the family. So that's what was significant about that birthright, that when Isaac died, Esau, because he's the firstborn, he would have had the legal standing and right to be the patriarch or to be the head of the household. And with that, he would have certainly had control over, you know, the Swiss bank accounts and the visa card. You know, he would have, he would have had control over the wealth, right? So it was a pretty big deal. But in that impulse, Esau, um, it says in verse 34, that Esau despised his birthright. And I think the implication is, is that he did not value um, his place, or it was a he did not value the honor, or by virtue of his callousness, dishonored his father. So you see a little dynamic of what's going on there. All right. So let's look at the middle years of Isaac. Uh, Wearsby has this uh, Isaac the pilgrim. I, I put in beginning middle years just as a helpful way. A pilgrim is someone who's sojourning. It's somebody who's journeying, who's moving forward in their spiritual destination. And so we see that, interesting, that Isaac faced a similar problem or a similar temptation that his uh, father Abraham faced um, in verse 1 through 5. There was a famine in the land. If you go back over... To Genesis chapter 12, you will see that it was because, uh, actually not, yeah, 1210, 12.10, Abram, dad, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn, travel there for the famine was severe in the land. So fast forward now, you have Isaac, chapter 26, verse 1. There was a famine in the land, as was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Now, you would say, well, wait a minute. That's funny, because Abraham went to see Abimelech. Well, the only problem is it's not talking about the same individual. Abimelech is a title like Pharaoh is a title. Pharaoh, there was multiple Pharaohs. So Abimelech was a title because what happened to Abraham that we just read back in chapter 12, that was 97 years before this situation with Isaac, okay? So it's not talking about the same person that he's going to see, Abimelech, but Abimelech is more of a title. It's a different person. But it's interesting that Isaac is starting out towards Egypt, but God, in his grace, interrupts his trip and stops him. And then it says, verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Now notice what we see here. Tell me if you see this and notice this. Remember, this is a crisis situation, okay? Uh, 
there's no food. There's famine. If you don't deal with the famine crisis, people are going to die. If the lineage of the covenantal promise dies, well, then that dies. So it's a big deal. It's a big, just, just survival, it's a big deal. But notice that in this crisis, God provides assurance and a reminder. Look with me at verse 2, chapter 26. Then Yahweh, the Lord, appeared to him and said, Do not go to Egypt. Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. Verse 4, And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham, verse 5, obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. What do we see God doing there in those in verses uh, 3 and 4 and 5? What's he doing there? Huh? Yeah. What covenant? That Abraham, that chapter 15, well actually it starts in chapter 12 and it has layers where God just expands on it, but he's reiterating that Abrahamic covenant. What's the basis of assurance? What's the basis of survival? What's the basis of their continuing and blessing is that Abrahamic covenant. And don't miss the blessings that are reminded in that. Uh, not only is there going to be a blessing of descendants, there's going to be uh, so innumerable, you, you won't be able to count them like the stars in the sky, but also reminds them that he several times talks about land. Land. It's not just some spiritual mumbo-jumbo out there. It's actually a tangible uh, property land of promise that God is reminding Isaac based upon that promise that he gave to Isaac. All right? so, uh, so that is repeated. But yet, Isaac, even though he faces that same temptation in verses 6 through 11... He repeats his father's sin. Um, remember when, and I have it marked there, I think in chapter 12, you remember when uh, uh, Abraham went to then the Abimelech king over the Philistines, uh, and he lied about who? Because why? She apparently was a really good-looking woman. And he thought, you know, he's, he's going to muscle me out and he's going to take her into his, one of his concubines. So he lied and said that she actually is what? His sister. Now, uh, it, it wasn't like he was, she was directly his sister, but there was, I don't know if it was through the line of a second cousin. So again, she was technically connected in a familial way. But nevertheless, the implications is it was, a, it was not truthful, right? So if somebody tells you something and they factually tell you accurate data, but they're telling you in such a way to cause you to believe something different than what it is, it's, they're deceiving you. So we see that was... And why did Abraham do that? And he said why he did it when, when the gig was up. And the Lord, remember, gave that king a dream. What, what did he confess and say why he did it? He was afraid. We do a lot of things when we're afraid. You know, we, we make a lot of bad decisions when we're afraid. Well, fast forward now. You have Isaac repeating this very situation. Uh, verse 6 and 7. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Gerar and the men of that place asked him about his wife, and he said, what? She is my sister. Hmm. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of that place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was beautiful to behold. So we see this same kind of thing going on there, and you go down to verse, again, you read all through it, and again, Abimelech uh, finds out 
because somebody, verse 8, sees Isaac and her sneaking a little kiss and a hug, and they report it to Abimelech. This time, uh, somebody sees them doing this, and Abimelech, Abimelech uh, confronts him. And here you got the man of God lying, and you have a heathen king rebuking him for a lack of integrity. Well, you know what? We live in a world and a culture in which, sadly, the non-Christian, because of in lack of integrity among people in the church or churches or religious organizations, get into legal hot water because of dishonesty and a lack of integrity. I can't tell you how many churches, religious organizations, even pastors that got into legal trouble and jail time in the past three, four years because of fraud in regards to the government COVID money that just out and out stole, created bogus payroll needs or whatever it was they did into the millions and turned around and were buying houses and cars and you know, crazy stuff. By the way, we didn't take anything, all right? Um, we just never even, I don't think we ever talked about it. Wasn't an issue. Never considered it. And I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying we weren't, weren't, didn't have a need to do that. And, and sadly, what do you have? You have these, quote-unquote, men of the cloth being brought up in trials and fraud cases and just pure lying and dishonesty. It's a terrible thing, terrible thing. It does happen. Listen, the Lord has no problem of using Babylon to exercise judgment against Israel His, or using that as a metaphor. Um, a lot more we could make comments on that, but I better move on. Um, Verse 18, we see now Isaac coming off of that and God blessing him. Verse 12, then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. There was a turning um, in, that, in that confrontation. And in verse 18, it says the interesting phrase that may we just may pass over but there's a picture there where it says, Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Uh, the Philistines, who were not having the type of wells, they were wanting to sabotage Abraham's wells, so they would fill them up with dirt. That's what it's referring to in verse 18. But because of the language there, Isaac uh, returning back, and digging up, there's, there's a recognition and a return in Isaac's actions to that blessings and that which his father Abraham did. And even in the latter part of verse 18, that he called them by the names which his father had called them. And just in that, it's just an implication of Isaac recognizing his spiritual roots. Isaac recognizing his heritage. Isaac recognizing that the blessings and the work of God that Abraham did or were done through Abraham, that he is, that is a part of his own uh, spiritual legacy. And he trusted um, in the Lord. And so the Lord blessed him. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be, be at peace with him. Because if you read the rest of that chapter, you see that Abimelech and his men, um, and that he was a peacemaker, where, uh, like his father Abraham, verse 22, um, that when, actually verse 20, when the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and were claiming that these wells were theirs, it says, verse 22, that Isaac moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, and he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, for now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And it says, uh, again, the Lord, verse 24, what does he do? He reiterates, 26, 24, what do we see a reiteration of in the language that the Lord spoke to him that night? What do we see? The Abrahamic covenant. There it is again, verse 24. I'll bless you and multiply your descendants 
for my servant Abraham's sake. So there again, uh, reminding him uh, of that Abrahamic covenant. And so uh, you see that verse 26, when Abimelech came, they dwelt in peace. And, uh, and you see a little bit of Isaac's uh, picking up on Abraham, verse 22 of chapter 26, where he, he just, when they came and they were quarreling over whose wells were what, and the, the neighbors were quarreling over that, what did he do? He just moved on and dug another well. Do you remember when Lot and his herds, her, you know, his animals and his, his men, and they were quarreling and creating problems with Abraham and, and their, their cattle and all their animals? What did Abraham do? He didn't say, okay, Lot, look, you're only here because I brought you here, which we could argue was a mistake. But nevertheless, he brought him there, and you only exist because of me. Now, you pick your stuff up, take your sheep, and get out, you know, whatever. He didn't do that. What does he do? He said, he said what? You pick. You see, he could be generous. When you understand Jim talked about identity a couple weeks. When you understand your identity and that you're walking in the blessing of God, guess what? You can afford to be generous. Right? It's only when you, we act selfish and stingy. And why we do that? Because of fear. Where did Isaac get in trouble? Fear. Where did Abraham get in trouble? Fear. Right? But when you're walking and saying, my God shall supply all my needs. Remember um, uh, what was the name of God that Abraham gave or spoke of the Lord when he was going to bring that knife down? And then they saw the ram. Of course, the angel of the Lord said, stop! You know, no, he didn't do that. Um, and then he looked over and saw the rams, ram caught in the thicket of the bushes there. And the Lord said, the Lord is Jehovah what? What? Jireh, provider, my provider. That's the name of the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And so don't miss that, that peacemaker. Now, it'd be great if we could kind of end there. That would be a nice way to kind of go out of Isaac. But unfortunately, in chapter 27, towards the latter years of his life, we don't see such a wonderful picture here. And so these are more of the latter years. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau his older son. Now, who, who preferred who? Isaac preferred Esau and mom preferred Jacob. But he, So here he is, um, old, his eyes were dim, and he calls for Esau. And uh, the older son, it makes a point saying, the older son said to him, my son, and he answered, here I am. Um, now, it's interesting, it would imply that Isaac is near death. Uh, we're told that he's 137 years of age, but he actually, uh, according to chapter 35, 28, don't worry about it, look at it, uh, but he actually lived to be 180. So he's not quite, you know, Dying, dying. He's just, he's dying for some stew is what he's dying for, but uh, we'll leave that alone. Verse 2, and Esau said, behold, or no, Isaac said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Well, dad, you got a few more years, but they don't know that. Now, therefore, please take your weapons and you can read on there. And what does he want him to do? He wants him to go out and um, Cooks, get, get a, a deer, get a wild game, uh, bring it home, huh? Hunt him, Hunt him a meal, bring it home, you know, pull out that Gordon Ramsay recipe, son, and, and make that stew, and, and uh, that's what he's craving, bring me the game. Now it says, down to verse 5, bring me that stew, verse 4, that I love, savory food, that I may eat. Again, Esau got in trouble because of his, his belly, didn't he? Gave up his birthright. Well, Dad, you know, some, some things don't fall too far from the tree. Now, verse 5 is one of those hinge verses because it, it changes the scene to set you up 
that something's going to happen. The Bible says, verse 5, now Rebekah was listening, eavesdropping. When Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, Esau went out in the field to hunt game and bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, They all could have been thought dad was on his last days. And she says what he said. In verse 8, she tells Jacob, she concocts this scheme now. She's going to, you know, this manipulation uh, is all going on here with the family. And she says, um, Now therefore, my son, verse 8, obey my voice according to what I command you. You go and you go now to the flock and bring me from the two. There are two choice kids. A kid is a what? A baby what? Baby goat. And I will make, your, make savory food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father and he may eat it and then he may bless you. See, it isn't just who can cook the meal for dad. They think he's going to die. And if he dies and in that near death gives the patriarchal blessing, which even though Isaac and both Rebekah had the word of the Lord that back when those boys were born or when they were in the womb or born, that the younger would be in the, play, would be in the place of the older. So they had the word of the Lord, but they're both. And so she fears that he in his last moments after he eats that stew that he's going to give and reaffirm the patriarchal blessing of inheritance to the firstborn son. Isaac is apparently, again, that's, that's the implication uh, that she's worried about because she says, verse 10, that, he, that when he eats it, that he may bless you before his death. So she says, well, here's a way we're going to get around that. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, verse 11, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And Mama said, I'm already a step ahead of you, son. <laughs> but his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, in other words, she said, it's, what is she saying? Don't worry about it. I'll take the blame. Isn't that what she's saying there? Well, and then it says, verse 14, and he went and got them and brought them to his mother, the two kids, the two goats, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau that were in the hamper, which were with, no, I added that, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And then she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. <laughs> you just see this thing is really... Son, why, where did you get hoofs for hands? I don't know. Sorry. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob lied, because that's whole part of the deception, said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that I have found you... Like, you just left, son. And he's already back. I don't know, a few hours. He said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Lie number two. Or maybe three or four. I'm not sure. Then Isaac said to Jacob, verse 21, Please come near to me that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son or Esau or not. So Isaac's a little suspicious here, isn't he? So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you real? I mean, you see, there's multiple layers here that, that Isaac, or rather uh, Jacob, 
could have confessed. And got, he said, are you really my son Esau? And he lied again. Verse 24, I am. And he said, bring it near to me, then I, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. And he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Now, somebody said something interesting. They said his mama must have been some cook that could make goat meat taste like venison. I thought... Yeah. Yeah. Well... Just a kid. Yeah, right. Thanks. So we see verse 27. I won't read it, but basically what happens is what was the whole point of everything where he says, verse 26, come near now, my son, kiss me, my son. And he uh, came near and kissed him and smelled uh, of his clothing and believing it was Esau. What does Isaac do? He pronounces on him the blessing of the firstborn to the second son. Now, Obviously, all of this has transpired in the providence of God, has it not? But here's the deal. You think, well, okay, the whole the scheming thing, but ultimately it was Isaac anyway that was going to get, that it was supposed to be, right? So in kind of a sense, even though they acted sinfully and deceitfully, didn't it kind of just kind of all work out? in the providence and the sovereignty of God, you know, because Isaac was supposed to be the one that was to be blessed? Well, let me consider it this other way. If they were really truly believing what God said, as we've seen multiple times, is God in any way ever hindered by an obstacle or an inconvenience? In fact, oftentimes God puts and allows obstacles and inconveniences and things that force just like Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a son. What are you talking about? Have you looked at us lately, God? <laughs> I mean, like, how's that going to work? But the, but the issue wasn't in God's ability to fulfill his promise. The issue was, do you believe me? Are you going to respond in faith? So, yes, Isaac is the right lineage that the blessing of Abraham and ultimately the messianic line is going to come through. But instead of trusting God to, to work out all those problems, what did they do? They did what Abraham did and what Sarah did. They, got him, they decided that, you know what? We're going to have to take this thing in our own hands. And we're going to have to get that spiritual crowbar because that door doesn't seem to be opening. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to get that spiritual crowbar and we're going to get that thing open here. We're going to get this will of God if it kills us. And every time you and I have done that, guess what? It's always been disastrous. And Ishmael is probably the most prominent example of that type of thing where they feel like they need to help God fulfill his purpose and his will. When the whole thing is God is in no way worried about obstacles. He's not worried about God, didn't you? Could God have made Jacob come out first instead of Esau? Yeah. Was that going to be a problem? Not to God. Now, I don't know if he could have was going to kill Esau. We already know that in one sense Esau renounced his birthright. If Isaac and Rebekah had been acting in faith, that alone in a legal sense could have been grounds for them to say, you no longer are the inheritor because of your... I don't know. But guess what? God already had it all figured out. The problem was they tried to take things in their own hands and make something happen, and it was a disaster. And it was a disaster. Abraham did it. They did it. We do it. And it's always a disaster. They forgot the word of the Lord. Back in chapter 25, verse 23. 
Verse 22, the children struggled within Rebekah. And so she, here we find her going to the Lord in prayer. I don't see anything praying back in chapter 27, do you? But she's going to the Lord in prayer, chapter 25, verse 22. She went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall do what? That means Esau will serve Jacob. God already said it. He already knew how it was going to happen. He did not need their help. And so Rebecca doubted. We see the deception of the son, Jacob, deceived. And sadly, what do we have in verse 30? Jacob comes in. He's in the kitchen. He's cooking. He's making all this. And he goes in. What is this verse? Uh, where's uh, verse 30? And then it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, what? Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting, and he made the savory food, brought it to his father, and he said, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game. And his father Isaac said to him, He said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly because I think in that moment he knew. I think he knew because you see all those. I think he, 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 he wasn't quite, but he just, but then he knew. He knew that he knew. He had been deceived. In verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father of what had taken place, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Was it Hebrews, I think, 12, 17, that says Esau sought the blessing with tears, and yet it seemed, he said, but found no place for real repentance. He was sorrowful because of what he was going to miss out on, but not sorrowful in a repentant way or in a right way. Hebrews 12, 17, verse 36. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Meaning supplanter, heel grabber, deceiver. For he has supplanted me. He has uh, deceived me these two times. Remember the first time he took away my birthright? And now he has taken away my blessing? And you've got no blessing for me? Then it says in verse 41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. And when he's gone, I'm going to kill Jacob. Sad situation. Sad situation. Look at some quick life lessons there. These will be quick little place left there for you to fill in a word there. So just some quick observations that I wrote down after I went through this. I like to kind of have some summary thoughts. Number one, obedience in the past is no guarantee for future faithfulness. You see that? Obedience in the past. Isaac, it wasn't like he was always disobedient. But just because you're obedient back here doesn't guarantee you're going to remain and continue to be, dis to be obedient in the future. You know, Romans 1.17 says, speaks about righteousness moves from faith to faith. Galatians 5.25 tells us to uh, walk, that if you walk and if you're full of the Spirit, you will walk or literally keep in step with the Spirit. That's a continual walking Obedient in just these three or four events we have throughout the year, it's a continual walking before the Lord. Obedience in the past is no guarantee for future faithfulness. Sometimes we can become lax. 
Secondly, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. What if Isaac and Rebekah had just done that? That's what Charles Stanley always says. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Honey, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know how the blessing of Isaac is going to happen because we got, I don't know how it's going to happen, but guess what? God knew about it. He knew about it before those kids were born, and he'll figure it out. All we are to do is to do what? We're just called to obey. We're just called to believe. Thirdly, sinful seeds will one day blossom. You see, all those little sinful seeds, I, even, I, went, I even go back to Abraham, that little that deception that was kind of part of Abraham's character, even the deception in Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac lying to the king about her real identity. In other words, that deception and how we see that blossoming is we see it blossoming uh, in Jacob's life. We see Jacob spending a lot of time in his deception, right? It's interesting that Mama sends him to her brother Laban. And if you know that story, we'll look at that a little bit. Jacob meets his match. Because Laban, <laughs> he's going he's gonna to take him for a ride, right? Yeah. And so again, the sea, sinful seeds that you plant, whether it's children or relationships, guess what? Don't think that any of those type of things where, well, you know, it's a, it's a white lie. It's a half-truth. Half-truths are full lies. And sometimes, unfortunately, parents have planted seeds by their own behavior. And the children grow up to say, well, hey, you did it. Deception is repeated generationally. Number four, God, and I mentioned this really earlier, God never needs our creativity to fulfill his purposes. He wants our obedience. He just wants to, us to obey. Do we believe God? Do we believe God? Do we believe God and his word? I mean, he reiterated it multiple times, that covenant, that covenant. And fifth, as we get older in years, we must remain vigilant to not let our guard down in unbelief. You know, there's a myth that just as people get older, they get mellower, they get sweeter, they get more congenial to the things of God. Well, that doesn't always happen. That doesn't always happen. And sometimes we can allow ourselves when we go into life's autopilot and we can just coast. And all of a sudden we find, and they're, they're on the media lots of times where you find people that should be enjoying their retirement years arrested for all sorts of heinous sins. I knew a man who was retired, I think he was in his 70s. He was on a board that I was on, and anytime the ministry, it was a it was a outside food ministry, helps ministry. Anytime there was a need, um, he would just, you know, like with any a new refrigerator, they needed this, they needed that. He just was, you know, a lot of times he would just say, you know what, I'll take care of it, I'll take care of it. And he did. And then it came out later, because he was on the board for a local township, that he had been embezzling money from that township for years. No wonder he had so much money to buy refrigerators and air fix air You would have never guessed it. It was a sweet, nice man. But he was found out he had some woman on the side and all sorts of stuff going on. Listen, don't go into your years thinking because certain things slow down. Sin never slows down. Sin never slows down. Because sin is a heart issue, isn't it? As we get older in years, remain vigilant. I thought I won't turn to it, but the very last letter that we have of the Apostle Paul is 2 Timothy. 
And you remember towards the end when he talks about how Demas has left me and Alexander the coppersmith has done me harm and he's going through that litany and he's in jail. He's, he's probably within months, within a year of his death. And he's writing about these people that did him all this harm. And you know what? Old and in jail, guess what? He could have just spewed bitterness, right? But that isn't how he ends it. He says, but the Lord stood with me. But the Lord stood with me. So that was a choice. So Isaac, he'll be in heaven. But uh, aren't you glad you're the only one didn't come out of a dysfunctional family? The Bible starts with a dysfunctional family, doesn't it? Right? 